Nick, I'm really excited to announce that we have something brand new in the works to help our fourth year medical students who have matched into OBGYN get prepared for their internship and residency. Yeah. Last year, you guys may have seen on Twitter and Instagram the hashtag OBGYN intern challenge. And this year, we're making it even bigger and better with a huge team of experts in education, including ourselves, to prepare you to enter residency on day one, ready to rock. So if you're interested and want to sign up, this is going to be a month-long OBGYN intern challenge where we incorporate podcasts, text-based questions, and even trivia nights um, that will hopefully be both fun and educational. Check out the website www.obgyninternchallenge.com to find out more information and figure out how you can enroll. Faye, have you heard with the OBG project that they now have this thing called the CORE? Yes, they have a resident core curriculum that they have created so that there can be a collective curriculum for all residents around the country. This curriculum is absolutely free to all residents, so even if you're not a chief resident where you can get OBG first, the premium product for absolutely free, you can still benefit from the awesome stuff at the OBG project by signing up for the core. And speaking of OBG first, if you are interested, you should definitely sign up because they can send you emails, you can create your own bookshelves, and it has really helped me this year where I'm starting to study for ugh, oral boards. Yikes, me too. So head on over to our website, www.creagsovercoffee.com. Check out the sidebar. You can find out more about OBG first as well as the core there. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creags over, over Coffee. coffee. Today we're going to talk about kind of an exciting and interesting topic, I think, more to do with what to do during surgery, and we'll review topical hemostatic agents. So Faye, what are our learning objectives today? So we are going to review the coagulation cascade and the main components that come into play for surgical hemostasis. We'll discuss the available hemostatic agent products, their derivations, and best uses for them. And finally, we'll provide some awareness to risks and contraindications of these products' use, and also best practices when counseling patients about their use. The reading for today's podcast is going to be Committee Opinion 812, so if you'd like to read that and follow along, that would be great. So Nick, before we even get into um, the hemostatic agents during surgery, Talk me through the clotting cascade. Bring us back to third year of medical school. Yeah, so um, we're going to throw it back a ways here for your step one, step two studying memories, because it's important to know a bit about the coagulation cascade just to get a sense of how these things work. I'm going to try my best to boil it down in simple terms, so certainly we'll have a diagram on the website to try and help out with understanding at least this abbreviated portion of the coagulation cascade. So to start, you might remember that there are two arms. There's the extrinsic and intrinsic pathway, and ultimately those things meet together and lead to a common pathway. The extrinsic pathway results from the release of tissue factor and activated factor 7, which ultimately is triggered by just external trauma and tissue damage, like what occurs during surgery. The goal of this is ultimately to provide a quick pathway to bring about a thrombin burst, and we'll talk more about thrombin in a minute, but 
kind of important to remember from this side for your future knowledge is that tissue factor and factor seven are the only players on the extrinsic pathway. So it's really easy to remember those two. The intrinsic pathway, on the other hand, is activated by trauma within the vascular system. So think endothelial damage. This is activated by platelets, exposed endothelium, and different chemicals. This also does occur in surgery, but this is a much slower pathway down the coagulation cascade. Kind of boring, but in this you have factor 12 that gets activated first, followed by factor 11 activation, then factor 9 activation, so you go 12, 11, 9. Then activated factor 9, in addition to activated factor 8 that's kind of over there on the side, goes into lead into that pathway of factor 10 activation, um, which is where, again, we start that common pathway. Again, the individual steps, I think, are less important, but know that there are a lot of factors that are in the intrinsic pathway. Okay, so we mentioned again that both of these pathways here lead into the common pathway in which factor X is, or factor 10 rather, is converted into factor 10A. And that factor 10A converts prothrombin into thrombin. The job of thrombin then in turn is to convert fibrinogen into fibrin. And it's probably worth pausing just for a minute to say that thrombin has other special powers to further promote coagulation in this cascade. So it does promote further clots just beyond the formation of fibrin. Then those fibrin monomers to come back to the coagulation cascade. So again, we had prothrombin to thrombin, fibrinogen to fibrin, and now those fibrin monomers get converted into polymers with the action of factor 13. And those polymers now can attract factors that attract platelets, other things, that forms a clot, and boom, you get hemostasis. And kind of on another side of this, all of these clots coming together, you need something to sort of balance them out a little bit. And one of the important ones to remember in this is tissue plasminogen activator, or TPA. TPA, as the name implies, converts plasminogen to plasmin. Plasmin's job is to break up those fibrin clots, and basically it degrades clots from forming too zealously, and this overall prevents harmful thrombosis. The system is in super, super fine balance. Upsetting it with major trauma, sepsis, other severe illness is that pathology that we know as DIC, disseminated intravascular coagulation. More on that for another day. We won't touch on that here. Enough of all that. Again, just as a recap, we went from factor 10 to factor 10A. Factor 10A converts prothrombin to thrombin. Then thrombin converts fibrinogen into fibrin. Then fibrin comes together, forms your clot in addition to a bunch of other stuff. So that's the really simple, quick version of that. Diagrams are super helpful. Again, we'll have it on the website. Okay, I think I'm done with that, Faye. I hope I didn't put you to sleep. <laughs> no, no, it's good to hear. But my patient's bleeding out. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably the number one response of surgeon to a hematologist as they try to explain some of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we stop the bleeding then, Faye, if it's not just knowing the coagulation cascade? Yeah, so that's a great question. First of all, you always want to know how bad is the bleeding, right? Topical agents should be used in places where electrosurgery or sutures are not ideal or safe for the situation. So for example, if it's like near structures like ureters or nerves, but also these agents aren't ideal for widespread bleeding or used for prophylaxis against bleeding. Usually we want to use these agents when there's slow venous bleeding. Um, however, for like fast pumping arterial bleeders or large areas, these are not going to be solved by the use of these agents. And so again, you can't really be using these things for, you know, that like heavy spurter that's coming from your uterus. You probably are going to need a suture for that. Assuming you actually need one of these hemostatic agents, they are divided basically into three categories. So we have caustic, 
physical, and biologic. So we're going to tackle them one by one. We'll be using some brand names to refer to many of these products because they're commonly referred to by them and they're probably how you're going to learn them when you're in the operating room and you hear them from your attendings, but it doesn't mean that we're actually endorsing any of these products. First, we have caustic hemostatic agents. Um, these agents coagulate proteins leading to tissue necrosis and eschar formation. And you've probably seen or heard of some of these already. These things include aluminum chloride, ferric subsulfate, which is also known as Moncel solution, which I know we as gynecologists love when it comes to um, getting those quick bleeders from your like cone or from your leap, mm -hmm. um, silver nitrate, and also zinc chloride paste are just a few that we've probably heard of. These agents are great for topical bleeding, particularly at the cervix or vagina, um, but they're not supposed to be used in the abdomen. Do not use them there because they can cause tissue damage and toxicity. You never want to use them there. Nick, talk to us a little bit about um, some physical hemostatic agents. Yeah, so physical agents, as the name implies, use some sort of substrate to form a matrix at the site of bleeding. And this provides a scaffold, basically, for clot formation via the extrinsic pathway. Some of these substrates are made of things like cellulose, gelatin, starch, or collagen um, as a couple of examples. Because these things only provide a matrix for the clot to build upon, you have to have an intact coagulation cascade. So if you have someone who's in DIC or a patient who you did surgery on with hemophilia that's bleeding, these products will not work for that patient. So it's important to keep that in mind and again, for all of the products we're going to list, you need to have an intact coagulation cascade. So there are a couple of options in this category, and we'll talk about them again by the base material that it's made out of. So the first are gelatin-based things, and you may know these as gel foam, gel film, or surgifoam. These are available as powders or as sponges. Their absorption time varies from around four to six weeks, and they're actually derived from pork. Um, so kind of where that comes from basically. And it's important to keep that in mind and we'll talk a bit more about that later. These materials, again, the gelatin-based ones, absorbed surrounding blood and fluid to increase its size and weight. So these are actually pretty awesome to apply some pressure in areas where you feel like pressure might be helpful. Um, but you should also be careful with these because they can actually increase to double their size and weight overall. So you don't want to put them near fragile areas or areas that are prone to compression injuries like nerves, for instance. The next category are cellulose-based materials, and probably the most prominent of these is known as Surgicel. Surgicel is available as a powder or as a knit mesh, um, and one kind of great thing about its particular application is that you can use it in laparoscopy pretty easily because you can trim the mesh to just the side this, that you need, and it's easy to put down a laparoscopic port. It absorbs over one to two weeks, and the cellulose is plant-derived. Surgicel itself actually has an acidic pH overall, and this purportedly provides some antibacterial properties, um, as well as enhances natural thrombosis. Importantly, though, that acidic pH actually inactivates other topical thrombin products. You can't use Surgicel in combination with products that are either topical thrombin itself or that contain some sort of topical thrombin. The other two are ones that I have not used before personally, um, and I don't know how available they are, but they're worth mentioning. The first is known as a polysaccharide hemisphere, which sounds pretty neat. It's a um, brand name is Arista. It comes in a powder and it's also plant-derived. It absorbs actually really fast in 48 hours, um, and so this is thought to be less likely to cause foreign body reactions or foraminitis for infection compared to other agents. 
Um, and it's also the only topical agent that's approved for arterial bleeding, impressively enough. This works by absorbing water um, and basically allowing platelets and other proteins to accelerate clot formation on the surface of the powder. Finally, the other one is microfibrillar collagen, and the brand name available is known as Avatine. It comes in a powder or foam. It's bovine-derived. Um, this absorbs on a longer basis in around 8 to 12 weeks. And again, similarly to the other products, facilitates platelet aggregation and thrombus formation. Okay, so Faye, we mentioned a little earlier about the cellulose-based surge cell where you can't combine it with thrombin or topical thrombins. Um, so that's, I think, a nice segue into some of the biologic hemostatic agents. Yeah, so these biologic hemostatic agents bypass that extrinsic-intrinsic pathway um, to get right to the point, to the common pathway, which is providing a bolus of material to promote clotting. Um, and in patients with an impaired coagulation cascade, so someone who's in DIC, depending on the step, these may actually have a more favorable profile than physical agents. So options in this category include topical thrombin, um, which may be known as thrombin JMI or Recothrom, Evathrom. I actually haven't really used this before. Many of these agents are bovine derived and Evathrom is derived from pooled human plasma. And so it is considered a blood product and just be aware if someone is telling you that they would not accept any type of um, human blood product. Recothrom is, a, is recombinant and interestingly should not be used if patients have allergies to snakes or hamsters, um, which I don't feel like I routinely ask my patients. Anyway, these agents provide thrombin directly, which in turn can basically go straight to that fibrinogen fibrin activation and clot formation. However, if fibrinogen is severely deficient, then these still won't work. Often topical thrombin is turned into a combination agent with physical hemostatic agents to create a topical gel. And the most well-known of this, and you may have heard of this as well, is Flowseal, which is a combination of bovine-derived gelatin and human-derived thrombin. So again, blood product, and you really should talk to your patients um, beforehand about transfusions and things like that and see if they're actually willing to accept a blood product like Flowseal. Compared to other products, um, and given its combination action, it is also expensive overall. And so if you've been in the OR, and you actually have to use Flow Seal, you'll probably see your attendings tell you to use every last bit of it in that mm -hmm. tube. The next couple include one which is a fibrin sealant. So this may be known as Tisiel or Evacel. These are another combination solution that combines human-derived thrombin solution with human fibrinogen solution and can be applied to a bleeding site forming a clot on the spot. These are really great in that they can be used in patients with coagulopathy since you are supplying the fibrinogen yourself. These have to be kept at special temperatures and take at least like 10 to 20 minutes to thaw and prepare. And so not surprisingly, they're quite expensive and probably not the best to use if you are acutely bleeding out. The last one is a topical version of tranexamic acid or TXA. I didn't actually know that there was a topical version of this in addition to oral and IV forms, um, but you know we've talked about the oral and IV forms and unsurprisingly, it kind of works in the same way. So TXA can be mixed with some sterile water and applied directly to a bleeding surface and the systemic absorption when performed this way is quite low, like less than 10% of the IV form. But this may help abate concerns regarding use of IV TXA in patients who may be more prone to thrombosis but this question needs further study. So we've talked about all the different types of hemostatic agents, Nick. Let's talk a little bit about the risks and contraindication to use for all of these. Yeah. So fortunately, again, many of these are pretty well tolerated, but as we've hinted at throughout the podcast, they shouldn't be used carelessly um, 
you know, number one, because of expense, but number two, there actually are consequences associated with some of these. Um, and also things that you should just keep in mind as a good humanistic physician. For physical or combination agents, um, these are foreign bodies and they have varying absorption times. While it's hard in studies to tease out whether like a complex surgery with a lot of blood loss or just the presence of an agent led to an infection, it's worth noting again that all of these products have the potential to be a nidus for infection at their site of use. Confusing things even further, um, these agents actually often will appear like an abscess or collection on post-operative imaging. So don't forget to dictate if you actually use these and if you do where you use them, because that can also point you to something that may or may not be present. Knowing the derivation of these agents is also important, as the use of animal products can have cultural implications. Notably, religious leaders from around the world, according to the ACOG committee opinion, do support the use of most of these animal-derived products if no other alternatives are available or in an emergent situation. Be humanistic, be culturally appropriate. Patients who are concerned about this in preoperative counseling should be heard and offered alternatives. Animal products also have significant risk of allergic reactions. For instance, again, Faye mentions the very interesting and very weird hamster and snake allergy associated with Ricothrom. I don't know how folks figured that one out ultimately, but interesting. But actually, there are even more severe allergic reactions that have been reported with some of these. Again, with bovine-derived thromin products, actually, they've earned a U.S. FDA black box warning because of severe antibody-mediated reactions resulting in catastrophic bleeding with re-exposure to those agents. So if for whatever reason you end up using a bovine-derived thromin product during surgery, patients should be counseled about the use of it and the potential risks of re-exposure in future surgeries. Finally, as Faye mentions, two human-derived samples can be considered blood products, so it's worth discussing their use in advance with patients who object to the use of blood products in surgery. Um, human samples also, just like with blood transfusions, have a theoretical risk of viral contamination and transmission of infections, such as HIV or hepatitis, though these risks are small, on the order of 1 to 10 to 15th for the transmission of HIV or hepatitis via thrombin or fibrinogen agents. For parvovirus, the transmission is as high as 1 in 500,000. Finally, immunologic events can also occur with the use of any sort of human blood product, including these agents, and the development of antibodies against human-derived biologic agents is possible. However, this occurs in a much lower incidence compared to the bovine-derived thrombin that we mentioned earlier. Okay, Faye, wow, that was a lot of knowledge, a lot of confusing knowledge, I think. Why don't we try and summarize? Sure. So we first talked about the clotting cascade and gave a brief overview of everything. In short, there are two arms, the extrinsic and intrinsic pathway that both ultimately lead to a common pathway. What we need to know is that factor 10 becomes factor 10A, which then promotes the change of prothrombin to thrombin. Thrombin then causes fibrinogen to become fibrin, and these fibrin monomers then become polymers that allow clotting by action of factor 13, platelets, and other molecules. When you're considering the use of a hemostatic agent, you need to assess how bad the bleeding is. Again, slow venous bleeding is most adept for these agents. Faster pumping arterial bleeders or large areas of bleeding are not going to be solved by the use of these things. Overall, there are three categories of topical agents again, caustic, physical, and biologic. The caustic agents you're probably familiar with from just routine gynecologic care, things like aluminum chloride, ferric subsulfate or monocellus solution, silver nitrate, and zinc chloride. Again, they're 
great for external use or bleeding at the cervix or the vagina. They are not for intra-abdominal use as their mechanism causes tissue damage and toxicity. The second type we talked about was physical hemostatic agents, and these usually form some sort of substrate um, that provides a scaffold for clot formation via the extrinsic pathway. These things include gelatin-based agents, including things like gel foam, gel film or surgifoam, cellulose-based ones like Surgicil, polysaccharide hemispheres like Arista, and also microfibrillar collagen known as Avatine. Finally, we talked about biologic hemostatic agents. These, again, bypass the extrinsic and intrinsic pathways, getting right to the point of the common pathway, providing a bolus of material to promote clotting. Options in this category include topical thrombins, such as thrombin JMI, Ricothrom, and Evathrom, and thrown into that category as well should be flow seal, which is a combination of bovine-derived gelatin and human-derived thrombin, fibrin sealants, such as Tisseal and Evacel, and finally, you can also use topical tranexamic acid by mixing TXA in sterile water and applying it directly to bleeding surfaces. The last thing we talked about were risks and contraindications to use. And while most of the time these agents are very well tolerated, there are certain times when we should not use them. For physical or combination agents, remember that these are foreign bodies and have varying absorption times. It's also possible that they can serve as a nidus for infection. And unfortunately, sometimes they often appear like abscesses or collections on postoperative imaging. We also know that some agents are animal products and therefore just be culturally aware of what your patient prefers, as some patients may be concerned about certain types of animal products and may want to know about alternatives. Animal products can also cause significant risk for allergic reactions. And while this risk is small, um, these risks can cause significant allergic reaction with re-exposure. And there's actually a US FDA black box warning for these products for bovine-specific derived thrombin products. Human-derived products also are considered a blood product, so it's definitely worth discussing their use in advance of surgery with a patient. And of course, with any type of human samples, there is a very small or theoretical risk of viral contamination and transmission of things like H. HIV, hepatitis, or even parvovirus. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. Find us online on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, on Instagram and Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee, or if you love the show, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Creogs Over Coffee. Send us some love. We'll send you some swag. We know that clotting cascade is very difficult to understand when we just talk about it, so we definitely will have diagrams for that. We'll also have notes for this show and every other show on our website at www.creogsovercoffee.com. Finally, if you have a correction for this show, and please listen and send us corrections if they're needed, um, as well as comments or suggestions for the future, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com.